Well, as we uh, come to our Bible reading and sermon today, I am keenly aware that perpetrators of domestic abuse have used and continue to use this passage to control, manipulate guilt and cause fear in marriages. So at the outset, please hear me declare that misusing God's word to entrap, coerce or abuse is a diabolical evil. Abuse in relationships that manipulate the Bible in support of it is by definition spiritual abuse. Such false teaching is condemned by the Lord Jesus. It's abhorrent in our Anglican church. And thankfully, such domestic abuse is illegal in our nation. Uh, Tragically, the statistics tell us that in Australia, one woman every week is murdered by a current or former partner. According to the United Nations, two-thirds of women worldwide experience ongoing abuse from people known to them. Next Friday, November 18, is White Ribbon Day. Following week, November 23, it's International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. We Christians need to be at the forefront of such efforts, not making things worse by reversing the meaning of God's word and using our Christian freedom as a cover-up for evil. If you are directly affected, please make use of all the helps that are available in our nation and in our Anglican Church support services. Well, they're printed there on your outline. If you're watching on Zoom tonight, it's on the e-news and it's at the bottom of every page of our website. Spiritual and domestic abuse is abhorrent and I have no desire to make it worse today. So if a passage like this can be misused by people who perpetrate evil, we should ask, why would God risk including it in the Bible? Well, that's because it's of, we need to know what is of great worth in his sight. That's why. So that we can have clarity in the fog. So that the truth will shine in all its brilliance. So that unlike All the people around us in our world which are confused and conflicted about marriage and relationships, we Christians can put our hope in the right place so that nothing will hinder our flourishing now and nothing would mask our Christian character in a world that doesn't yet know Jesus. Clarity about this is needed. And not just for married Christians, but also for those who are single. We are each affected by one another's activity, behaviour and conduct and understanding in the church and we each need godly encouragement from one another on all subjects. And of course, there is no marriage in heaven. And so honouring Christ within marriage before heaven, well, that's something every Christian needs instruction and encouragement in. Singles in the church are vital participants in that conversation. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, and you're wondering what on earth you've walked into, you've come on a good day. A great day, in fact. I mean it. Because you're about to hear and see and now understand how countercultural it is to actually be a Christian in these times. And you're likewise going to witness how highly Christians treasure 
God's word and why we listen to him and that we trust him to know us better than we know ourselves and that we trust him to instruct us, correct us, rebuke and train us as his children because we are his children. See, we Christians know God to be tender, gracious, merciful, forgiving and also right about us and our issues. And he's not just a wise teacher. Oh, no, he's also the God who sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our mistakes, to set us free from death and to give us his spirit to help us all along the way on our journey home to him. So by all means, listen carefully and examine us today. See if these things are true. But also know that the door is open for you to entrust your life and eternity into God's keeping alongside us. Not only will trusting Jesus change your destiny forever, because indeed it will, his overflowing grace and love will transform you in every relationship around you. And so with these things in mind, Let's pray and ask God's help as we hear him speak and as we seek to consider his words together. Will you pray with me? Our gracious God, we thank you. You are the God who speaks. You're not silent even on things that cause us confusion and difficulty. We thank you that your word is actually clear and it cuts through the fog and the darkness cuts through the confusion and so we pray now this evening it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path would you show us your truth that we might walk in the truth and find life and we ask it in jesus name amen if you'd like to open your bibles we're on page 982 on those church bibles leanne's going to come read it for us and you'll find an outline there in your bulletins that we're following along. We're already partway through it. That'll help you to follow along. Thanks, Leanne. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, I read this. I've got a cook Okay. So, um, you can hear me? Page 982, or it's on the screen. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not, not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For well, this is the way the holy women of the past who put the hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, everyone's still here? Okay, let's, let's give this a royal shot. 
Now, the, the things God supplies for us that will keep us from misusing this passage are first found in the context. We need the context to stay on track. You've got your Bibles. Have them open, page 982. You've got them open there at 1 Peter chapter 3. Now I want you to turn back a page because you need to because that's actually where this starts. See, earlier in 1 Peter, we heard that Christians are chosen by God before the creation of the world that we might receive an inheritance from him that can never perish, spoil or fade, but that we don't have it now, but that is kept in heaven for us. But even now, we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special possession of people belonging to God. And while we wait for Jesus' return and our heavenly inheritance to begin... Well, there's a mission that we are on that we've been given with things to remember and things to do. And so there it is, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, where it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds... And glorify God on the day he visits us. And the instructions for Christian husband and wives begin here. Just as last week they began there when we considered what public Christian living looks like under government authority or in the workplace. And we finish with Jesus' own example in those arenas where persecution for being a Christian is regular and real. Yet Peter's discussion of these things and living life this way continues after chapter 2 finishes and you can see that there by the language in chapter 3 verse 1 and verse 7 again have your bibles open look at it see that it's there it says wives in the same way and it says husbands in the same way well in the same way as what it can't be the same as slaves and workers and citizens under government because that would not make sense of what it says to the husbands who are not called to submit themselves. And so to make logical sentence, a sense sorry, of 3, 1 to 7, we need to go all the way back to 2, 11 and 12. And when we do, the instruction is very clear for us. Christian wives, 3, 1 to 6, in the same way, this is how you live good lives among the pagans. Christian husbands, 3, verse 7, in the same way, this is how you live good lives among the pagans. So with that context in mind, keep this on the straight and narrow, let's now examine the text. So 3, verse 1, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves. Wait a minute, who is this written to? What's the word? Okay, I'll read it again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves. Who's it written to? Wives. Wives. Which means, if you're a Christian husband, it is not speaking to you about your wife. This is God speaking to her about being your wife. Husbands should understand it, pray it, and discuss it by all means, but this is for her to apply to herself, never for you to be tempted to commit spiritual abuse and apply it to her. And when we look at it, when we look at it in detail, what we see here, we notice straight away that there are two types of Christian wives, two types here. There are those married to Christian husbands and those married 
to non-Christian husbands. Both are picked up here for instruction, but first there's special encouragement to those Christian wives in the hardest of all marriages when their husband is a self-declared unbeliever. And if that's you, God knows your greatest fear and he agrees with your greatest hope that your husband would turn to Christ and that your husband would not hinder your children from Christ. And so he writes here through Peter this encouragement. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. In the circumstance of being married to an unbelieving husband, God has made it that you play your part in winning your husband to Christ, not by words, but by your pure and reverent conduct. In the whole Bible, this is the only type of evangelism that should be done without words. In all other settings is the command to speak, but not to the Christian wife with an unbelieving husband. You are precious to God and you're in a unique circumstance. So for you in that setting, God makes it that your silent witness through godly character and behavior can lay the groundwork for his salvation. And indeed, this instruction is also helpful for Christian women married to Christian husbands when your Christian husband is straying from Christ. And so in that circumstance, whenever he is disobedient to God, if it's a Christian man, if he's disobedient to God, think twice before getting in his face about it. Leave room for that from the Christian men in his life. And for you in that tension when he's acting like an unbeliever, well, seek to win him over without words by the purity and reverence of your life. Purity in terms of you keeping yourself from sin even when he's pursuing it. And living in reverence for God, not reverence for your husband. Which tells us that this is not a command to submit yourself to a husband who asks you to sin. It's reverence for God. It's fearing God alone and keeping yourself pure in God's sight. It means you can and you should refuse a request from your husband to sin. And so we've got to wonder, you know, this is hard work, isn't it? For a Christian wife to submit herself to her husband, it's a strenuous journey in enormous self-control. Why would any Christian wife choose to comply? Only because she trusts God, knows her Saviour and longs to glorify him. And before that, before even being married, remember there is no requirement for the Christian to marry in the first place. Indeed, in the New Testament, we're told that remaining single is better by far for us living this side of the cross. Not only is single what we will all be in heaven, but remaining unmarried now, well, will save us from many worldly griefs. Marriage is not evil. 
and nor is it wrong. But it's a difficult journey and not to be entered into lightly or carelessly, not least because of what it requires of submissive self-control, but also for the married Christian woman, it also changes how you now approach the subject of beauty. And we go countercultural straight away. So in our world, beauty is a physical thing. It's all skin deep. Whereas beauty that God commends for Christian wives is godly submission that fosters growth in Christian character. In Christian marriage, beauty is about Christian character. Verses 3 and 4, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. That is starkly countercultural, isn't it? Utterly. In Christian marriage, beauty is about Christian character, not outward things. But that's not the way our world thinks. See if you can recognise these song lyrics. Some of you might be able to finish them for me. It goes like this. Uh, Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. But square cut and pear shaped, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. But are they? Are they really? And for those who can't afford diamonds because, hey, they're expensive, well, lash extensions and lycra are helpful alternatives, so I'm told. Or is it hair straighteners and face cream? Personal trainers and body sculpting? Clearly, I have no idea. But I do know... And what I do know is that hair, makeup, clothing and jewellery for women are multi-billion dollar industries that enslave non-Christian women to external beauty every single day. Enslaved to products that claim they can reverse time and defy gravity. Praise the Lord if it's true or at least cover it over for a little while. Now, it might be easier to live in a poverty-stricken country where the only thing women can care about is food and water. At least then these problems aren't there. But wishing the problem would go away doesn't help us, does it? Better still, because we are living in that situation, to listen to God's word and be set free from a society enslaved to looking good on the outside. So let's ask the question, what is of great worth in God's sight? What's of great worth in his sight? Well, what is great worth in his sight, he tells us, is what doesn't fade and what doesn't fall or need help with age. In fact, it's the opposite. It's what increases with age and becomes more and more beautiful with experience and age. And that's the way God's holy women make themselves beautiful with inward adornment. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is the way Peter puts it here fostering a heart for God that overflows grace and love to others. Now, in his, uh, the New Testament writes about this in all kinds of ways, but in his second letter, Peter, chapter 1 there, writes, 
make every effort to add to your faith makeup and jewelry. No, he doesn't say that. Hold on. Oh, there it is. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. And it's layer upon layer upon layer of Christian character. It is so beautiful when encountered that it spurs others on to love and good deeds also. And with an inner beauty regime such as this, as God lays it out, well, this is the thing that it strengthens you to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul because that's where the internal battle is. And this is precious in God's sight. And it's vastly different to unbelievers for whom beauty comes from outward adornment only. And to help us further in this, the concrete example Peter turns to, well, it's, it's to Sarah. Sarah from the Old Testament. And so what he does here is he brings all the ideas of verses 1 through 4 together in verses 5 and 6, piles them all in here now, and he says this, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And we can thank him for pointing us to Sarah, for she was no wallflower. She wasn't meek, weak, or hidden. She was feisty. She was full of mistakes, and she was oh so real. We actually meet Sarah in Genesis in the end part of her life, and as a married woman, Sarah lived out the biblical principle of submitting herself to her husband, whilst also being famously beautiful, whilst also being proactive and courageous partner in their marriage relationship. And what we see there in Genesis is so significant. As a church together, we are going to consider Sarah and Abraham in great detail in term one as we look at Genesis 12 through 25. We're going to walk that term with them. Now feel free to look more closely at her before then and especially look at chapter 18. Because that's what Peter is referencing here, where Sarah speaks to herself, calling Abraham her Lord, and speaks with the Lord about this. And the key thing about her, the key thing, is that Sarah learned to put her hope in the Lord. That's what she learned. And she learned it over the course of time. She made lots of mistakes along the way, and we'll get to see them. You get to see it played out loud. But she learned to not give way to fear in how she related with her husband. She learned it. Christian wives, you will do well. You will do well to regularly audit your hopes and your fears and where they're anchored. Where are they anchored? Do your hopes and fears Feed those sinful desires which war against your soul that keep you from good deeds that glorify God? Consider where your hopes and fears are fixed. 
help one another to inspect those things and carefully examine how they motivate you, how they shape your state of mind every single day as they drive you, hopes and fears. Remember that hope in external beauty, it will let you down. Hope in your husband will let you down. Hoping in your children, hoping in your amazing capability will all let you down. Only hope in God will lead you to dress and adorn your life with things that will not fail you. And in the same way, fear of what other women say of you, oh, that will destroy you. Fear of what your husband thinks of you, that will enslave you. Fear for your marriage and you'll crush it. Fear won't go away because you're a Christian. We have no promise of that in the Bible. Fear will not go away because you're a Christian, but giving way to fear is the challenge because it's giving way to fear is what stops you from entrusting yourself to God in your marriage and living his way. So, Hope in the Lord, fear only in the Lord. Encourage one another to live a life of great worth in God's sight, in his sight. So what about Christian husbands? Yep, me included, I'm married. So for us Christian men, for husbands, be considerate is the key instruction. Be considerate is the key instruction. And so we read, verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now notice, first of all, what's missing. What's missing? There's no mention of submitting themselves to their wives The phrase, in the same way, as we've looked at, refers back to chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. So, Christian husbands, in the same way, this is how you live good lives among the pagans, and submitting yourself to your Christian wife is not included. Your role is different to hers and must never be confused or blended or swapped over. Swapping of roles is what happened at the very start of the Bible In the Garden of Eden, when Adam submitted himself to Eve and ate from her hand the fruit about which God had said not to eat. As the weaker partner in that moment, she had fallen prey to the snake's temptation and Adam failed to protect her. And he switched roles. Adam failed to respect her or be considerate of her need to refuse the snake's temptation. Where she was weak, he failed to be strong. And King Solomon made the same mistake when he followed his many wives into rebellion, submitting himself to their desires to follow other gods, which then led the entire nation of Israel astray. Their husbands standing strong with God was what those women needed in that moment, in their weakness. But their husbands failed to husband them. And speaking of weakness, frustratingly for most, Peter doesn't expand on this weaker partner comment. 
frustrating, isn't it? He supplies no descriptive detail about weakness. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it mental? Is it spiritual? Is it specific or is it in general? And what about all the exceptions we can all point to? Lots of questions. And and to date, in my experience, these are questions that only women want the answer to. But Peter doesn't supply a description. And Christian husbands don't need him to. Not because they're clever or smarter. Not that at all. No, no, no. It's because Christian husbands know precisely what Peter means in relation to their own wife. All wives are indeed different, with different strengths and weaknesses comparative to their husbands. And so this instruction is for the Christian husband not to take advantage of his wife's weakness comparative to him. So to put it in contemporary language, there is no place in a Christian marriage for toxic masculinity towards your wife. No place for despising her. No place for dominating her, taking advantage because you can lord yourself over her weakness, her comparative weakness. Christian husbands, you know exactly what I mean for your wife. Don't go there. Instead, Peter's very clear, be considerate. Treat her with respect. Honour and cherish her. Husband her by using your comparative strength to now protect and defend, to assist and to serve, to lay down your life for her as Christ loved the church, especially in that spot where she is comparatively weak to you. To be gentle, to be patient, encouraging, long-suffering. Do the opposite of Adam, the opposite of Solomon, and speak up when she is in spiritual danger. And for your example on how to do it, what does it look like to do it? Well, consider how Jesus treated his disciples. Consider how Jesus treated his disciples and everyone around him with his disciples. He treated them with respectful care. Though all were weaker, Jesus did not treat them as less than he, but as fellow heirs with him of the gracious gift of life. In the same way, the Christian wife is co-heir in the gracious gift of life with her Christian husband. She is no less precious in God's sight and he must act as she is. And just in case... A Christian husband is of a mind to ignore this and dishonour his wife. Well, Peter now lays home the sucker punch reason to do so. For the Christian husband, there is discipline. For the Christian husband, there is discipline. Right there at the end of the sentence, a discipline warning, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That bites And it bites very deeply. Did you notice that Christian women receive no rebuke, no threat, no warning for failing to submit herself, for not holding her tongue or losing her way in outward adornment? No discipline. But for the Christian man, for the Christian husband, 
who doesn't treat his wife with respect, well, then God will ensure your prayers are hindered. Indeed, she won't want to pray with you. Oh, no, that would be hindrance enough. But the implication is left more broadly open to that and it's just left dangling there. And in that communication with God, in that prayer is our only communication line with God to ask him for our needs, to help him deal with us in our troubles and it's our only communication line to supply wisdom and endurance for our problems Anything hindering your prayers is an absolute disaster for a Christian husband. How can you abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul? You can't if you can't pray. How can you live such godly lives among the pagans if your prayers are hindered? You can't and you won't. Because we can't do that under our own strength. We need the Lord. And so, fellas, men, if, a, if, another, if a Christian husband talks to you, you're talking other blokes, if a Christian husband tells you that he's having a dry spot with God, that God feels distant and uncaring, commiserate with him and then ask him about his wife. How are you going respecting your wife? <coughs> How is your consideration of her weakness? Is there anything that you need to repent of? in cherishing her as a co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life? Then let's do that together. Let's pray and help. See, for Christian wives and Christian husbands, for those who are married, you need, we need, we need to spend more time cultivating a godly marriage more time cultivating that. It's more important than cultivating a career or building up a share portfolio or pursuing our hobbies or dreams as if heaven doesn't exist and we have everything we're supposed to live for now. No, more important than cultivating anything else in the world that, or that the world will applaud you for is to abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans by cultivating a godly marriage if you are a person who is married. So what steps will you take to get busy on that? What steps do you need to take to get busy on that? To draw a line and get started. I know for Karen and I, we've now lived, it's a year out of COVID, we've now settled in Wanuna. We are now spending time revisiting those priorities and trying to look at where, what it is now and what's going to be most important going forward for us. It's the right moment to draw a line and have a look at that in our marriage. Uh, as a Christian husband, I've just finished reading a very helpful book in October uh, by Al Stewart. Very helpfully, for men, it's called The Manual. 
I love that. Getting masculinity right. I cannot more highly recommend this. Or if you're not a reader, then have another book. Read it to you. Read it together. In fact, in our family, we're about to start doing that as a family reading project together. For our church family, I've invited Steve and Trish Roberts to come and run four nights in May next year of marriage enrichment. Steve and Trish, some of you will know them, four Wednesday nights in May. Set it aside, put it aside in your diary to come along if you're married. But if you're married, don't wait till May next year. Let's get started. Cultivating a godly marriage. And as you do, and when you do, you're going to find there's things that need tender work and there's difficult things to face. And so as you do, bring that to Jesus. Bring it all to him and lay it at the foot of his cross where he paid the price for our sins. And praise God for Jesus because he forgives us for our many mistakes and he gives us grace and opportunity to try again. And praise God for his word that instructs us, that is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And praise God for a church such as this where we can hear these things, discuss these things, encourage one another in these things, pray for one another in these things. And seek to make progress together. And we need to, don't we? Because this is not our home. We're foreigners and exiles here. We have sinful desires at war against our souls. And we have a watching audience of unbelievers who desperately need to see us living lives that bring glory to God. And it's not just the unbelievers around us that need to see us living lives that bring glory to God. It's also the next generation who are watching. So let's get going on this together while we wait for Jesus' return. And let's, God's, let's ask God help. Let's ask God to help us in this as we do. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your call to us to live lives that bring glory to you and that lives that bring glory to you likewise bring delight to us, countercultural in our world, but light and truth. Oh, help us to forgive ourselves, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to be real about these things, to not go the way of the world but to live as your people in a dark world that others as well as ourselves might find hope in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray and ask these things. Amen.